This is COVID Connections on the Niall Boylan Show. Classic hits. All right, um, uh, this is the part of the show every week, of course, where we look at things all COVID-related. And uh, by the way, I'm just reading the paper here. Guardian are now investigating a case where at least three people refused to fill out a passenger location form at Dublin Airport. You'd imagine the Garda Shia Khan have better things to do, but I know there's loads of people out there who would completely agree that. Others would say it's a complete overreaction over the top because the Garda Shia Khan, by the way, are not clear in the legislation in relation to this and what they can legally do about it. The Metropolitan Police have said exactly the same thing in the UK. Uh, they're said in relation to, say, mask wearing, that they will not be enforcing it because they can't because if a shop calls them and says somebody didn't me shop with no mask on uh, but the time they get there the person's probably gone and they're unclear in relation to the legislation which can actually force somebody to do that because it goes against your constitutional right of freedom and liberty in some way I mean we weren't for example if we go back in time a little bit as uh, this time last year when somebody suggested that we should screen people coming from certain countries for certain diseases for example we said oh we can't do that that would be racist and profiling people we're not allowed to do that but all of a sudden we are allowed to do it, it seems, uh, when it's in our own interest. Uh, some people believe it's an overreaction and one man believes that maybe we need to get things into perspective. Is an independent TD, Michael McNamara, who has questioned whether there is a need for a greater perspective in the coverage of COVID-19, particularly in the media. And he was speaking yesterday at a special doll COVID-19 committee and uh, he joins me on the line. Good afternoon to you, Michael. Good afternoon. Michael, do you think, I mean, the coverage of COVID-19 do you believe it's fair or do you believe it's very one-sided or are we getting accurate information? Are we getting too much mixed messages? Well, I mean, there's an awful lot of coverage at the moment of, of tourists in the country and people being very annoyed that tourists in the country aren't quarantining and the feeling that by people that, you know, tourists are, are flouting the law and putting oh, it at risk. The pariahs, that, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that... that, that um, that, I mean, you know, this this thing that we see a lot and this meme that we see a lot on Twitter, Yank, go home. Um, well, was, well, that was, well, was, was that not started by Sam McConkey, who uh, suggested that these people should be put in Mountjoy for three months? Yeah, but I mean, you can only put somebody in Mountjoy for three days, three minutes or three months if they break the law. They're not breaking the law. And if we as a state want tourists to, to self-isolate or to quarantine when they come into the country, then we have to make a law to do so. I mean, you can't prosecute people for 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 not breaking a law. It's absolutely... It's, well, it's government advisory. Isn't it? It's government advisory, but I mean, like, if I, um, you know, go to another country, I mean, you know, you have an obligation to find out what the law is and adhere to the law in any country. And most countries, if not every country, is dealing with this by way of laws. Mm-hmm. I mean, what the government uh, reg- um, sort of health recommendations are exactly that. They are recommendations. I recommend that you do something, but if I don't, I mean, uh, you know... Well, we did bring in mask wearing on transport on Monday uh, as being mandatory. Now, mind mm. you, there's a heap of confusion about that too, because the drivers and Irish Rail well, and I mean, the unions have said, we're not going to enforce it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's very clear that you have to wear a mask now in public transport, or a face covering in public transport, but uh, the, the, the confusion is around enforcement. And again, like, the, the regulation wasn't pub, was published uh, I don't know if it even has been published yet on you know the, the government website where laws are published and whether it's been published in Irishifigul it's where sort of regulations that are made in this manner are published um, but like there has to be a change in how these type uh, uh, in, in the middle of March when we were looking uh, at lorries taking away bodies from hospitals uh, in Italy the Dáil passed a law that enabled the government to bring in various regulations, regulating what we can do, what we can't do, and to effect 
to enable them to impose great restrictions right across the country. But just because the government have the power to do that doesn't mean that they can do it willy-nilly or that they don't have to do it properly. But there's, I mean, there's any still, yeah, but there seems to be a level. I mean, Michael, there seems, if you look over the last four or five months, there seems to be a level of, we just don't question it. Uh, nobody's allowed to question it. And, and if you do question it, you're some sort of denier. And I'm certainly not by any sort of the imagination of denier. I'm well aware that COVID-19 has a higher or not and then say, uh, the, you know, the, the pandemic known as the flu. Uh, and it can be more dangerous. It spreads quicker. But then there's a lot of other scientists, immunologists, virologists around the world. There's more of them than just Sam McConkie and Luke O'Neill, who we hear all the time on the radio and on the television, who have an opinion. Uh, and I respect their opinion, but there are many that disagree agree with that opinion and we don't seem to get to hear those people. Well, I mean, you know, we do, there's one particular doctor that we hear a little bit of, uh, Dr. Jack Lambert, who's making the point, which appears to me to be very valid. Look, we have to get on with our lives to the greatest extent possible. He recommends that people wash their hands, that people maintain a social Absolutely. distance, yeah. uh, that, that people take precautions, but that they get on with their lives because this time next year and the year after and the year It'll after. will be still that, there. COVID will still be here, just as influenza is still here. But, um, but Leo, Leo Varadkar himself, only a month and a half ago, was commending New Zealand and Australia. And yesterday he turned around and he said, we don't want to go down that road of New Zealand and Australia, where we could see what's happening in Melbourne at the moment. People are literally locked in their homes because two people died. A man of 97 and a woman of 82. Now, I'm well, not I mean, suggesting that old people are not valuable in society. They clearly are. Uh, but, you know, nature could, takes its course, generally but, speaking. You know, both... both um, both New Zealand and Australia are islands that are very far away from the next neighbouring country. Everybody makes the point that we're an island, but they seem to have forgotten we share the island with another jurisdiction, and that's the United Kingdom. And we have a large land border across which 30,000-odd people come every day. Now, the majority of them probably travel from a couple of miles one side of that border to a couple of miles the other. But there are a large number of people who are coming across that border who are travelling a far greater distance. So while we have this inordinate focus on airports and what's happening at the airports, nobody seems to have any consideration for the fact that the United Kingdom has one of the highest transmission rates in Europe and people are travelling possibly in the world the actually Kingdom. to be honest at this stage possibly in the world okay so so what should we do I mean Michael well, in, in, rela- in relation to I would agree with you Ireland can't be an outlier when it comes to this kind of this virus we can't turn around and say let's suppress the virus completely because that's never happened in the history of mankind it just doesn't happen viruses will decide themselves when they want to go when they run out of people so we can't be an outlier and say we're going to isolate ourselves and essentially put a wall around Ireland but that seems to be the, the kind of, uh, can I use the word scaremongering that seems to be out there, that, that this whole lynch mob mentality on any tourist that comes into the country, that seems to be what they want to do. Well, I mean, in my view, if there are safe countries that that uh, we can travel to and that people can travel from to Ireland, and there must be because there are countries in Europe with lower levels of transmission than we have here, then the list of safe countries must be compiled. And then if we want people quarantine when they come from countries which are not on that list and which are not deemed safe well then we have to make a law requiring people not just to give the address where they're going to be staying for uh, two weeks after they arrive but also to self but there's a, yeah, we, and I, un- I understand what you're saying and Michal Martin said he's not going to make that decision at the moment he's now put that decision forward again today and there's no clarity on that which is very difficult for the tourist mm. industry and the aviation industry which is in a mess at the moment particularly you know I do genuinely feel sorry for, well, for earning us from a county where tourism is, is hugely important Absolutely. 
absolutely. A big, okay, but, 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 but I mean, this, this idea of safe countries, it's not going to work either because it doesn't give clarity. I, Portugal could be a safe country tomorrow. And, you know, they're talking about this uh, traffic light system of green, amber and red, right? So I go off on my holidays to Portugal. While I'm there, suddenly they turn into a, a red country. How am I getting back again? Am I going to be in my hotel for a week and a half locked up with a mask on me, you know, having me breakfast put at the, at the door? So the whole thing will be a mess, right? So what I'm saying is, why not do what some countries are doing at the moment, which is test people at the airport? Test their temperatures coming through. Anybody coming from a high-risk country like the United Kingdom, uh, or mainland UK, particularly England, mm. Look, uh, I mean, or I... America, we, we take them aside and we do... There's two different testing systems at the moment. I'm saying this till I'm blue in the face, that will do a test in 15 minutes with a very high accuracy rate. Look, Why I mean, I've repeatedly called for testing at the airport and I've put this to... Um, I'm, I'm not a medic, but I've put this to medical experts um, at the COVID committee and they have said the testing is fine but the problem with testing is that it only is accurate at a point in time and even then it's not 100% well, accurate. Well if it's accurate when they're coming into the country surely that's good enough for us for the yeah, moment. Yeah but that, that you could have contracted the case in the 24 hours before you travel you're tested when you arrive but you're, you don't Okay but is, that a tra- but, but is that the trade off? Do we sorry, have to take the risk Michael? We do but have to take a, risk. But I mean what we could do is and what I believe Tomas Ryan who's an associate professor in uh, Trinity College says is that you know you could test uh, when people arrive at the country and then require people to quarantine for two to three days and test again and that he says that would be 99% accurate. Absolutely, now, but in saying that's still a turn-off for a tourist, isn't it? Um, it's a turn-off for a tourist, but is it really that much worse than people being treated in I a hostile go. manner Michael, when they come to Ireland because they're... Michael, because would they're, you go? Would you go on holidays knowing that you had to quarantine when you got to your destination for even two days? Would you be bothered, Cole? Uh, probably not, but no. I, I would ra- rather do that than to go to a country where I was going to be treated as a pariah for... Well, well, I, well I don't agree with either. I mean, as I said well, I don't to you, either, and I well, think there's a real danger that people are, uh, people are taking out their frustrations on tourists. People are blaming tourists for breaking law absolutely. when there's actually no law in place and they're doing nothing wrong. And I think that's a, a real problem for our tourism going forward, but also just for our sense of society when we start blaming people for doing something which is not unlawful. I mean, if you want to prosecute somebody for driving over the speed limit, you have to have a law in place that sets out what the speed limit is. If you want to prosecute people, I don't know, for dog fouling in a park, well, there has to be a bylaw which says that you can't bring your dog to the park. And if you do, you have to clean up after them. I mean, you can't prosecute people and treat them uh, as pariahs unless you put a law in place. It's called a rules-based society. It's kind of one of the indicators of of civilization. But for some reason in Ireland, with regard to this, there's been... Social media plays a huge role in it, by the way. There's all been a deliberate confusion created between recommendations and law. I mean, I think that's all well and good. Maybe a nod and a wink and people are happy to go along with that. They might see it as the Irish way of doing things. But it simply doesn't work for tourists. I mean, how are tourists supposed to figure out what they can and can't do if if there aren't clear laws in place. And I mean, if you can bring in a law requiring people to give the address that they're going to stay at for the next 14 days, and we see that people are being prosecuted for that, so it is a law, it's very clear, people know what they have to do. Well then, if you want to make people self-isolate, then you can require them to do that. But I suppose the big difficulty that the state has is that it doesn't really make a huge amount of sense to make people who arrive at an airport self-isolate, whereas if they're coming uh, uh, from, uh, if they want a holiday in Ireland and they're driving across from Larne to Stranraer and coming down, Mm -hmm. then they're free to pass on without even Uh, filling out a passenger form. form. Okay, but finally, in relation to how we've handled COVID-19 in the last four and a half months, um, do you believe that it 
it, that everything that we've done, everything we've done so far has been justified. In relation to, I suppose, initially by the WHO, we were told this disease or this virus had a 5% mortality rate. That was the mm. initial findings at the start. That turned out to be completely untrue. Um, <clears throat> all the estimates of the amount of people that would die turned out to be completely untrue. Now it seems by the best uh, experts out there that the mortality rate is a lot lower than even half of 1%. So, And, and it does seem to be a very ageist virus. Uh, those well, are more than, more than 1,700 people have died Absolutely. with COVID-19. I mean, they may have had other conditions at the time, um, of whom eight have been under the age of 65 uh, and without underlying conditions. Now, each and every one of those deaths is, is a, important. Is, 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 no, Absolutely. it's more than important. It's a, it's a tragedy for the family and the friends of those who die. But in the same period of time, 5,000 people have died of cancer. In any given year, there's typically over 3,000 diagnoses of breast cancer, over 2,500 diagnoses of bowel cancer, over, over 1,100 diagnoses of gynecological cancers, and 3,300 diagnoses of prostate cancer. Now, the screening by which all of these can be uh, detected and caught in time are all in abeyance. So, I mean, Absolutely, I and Simon Harris, Simon Harris said last month when he was questioned about this, and we questioned the Department of Health in relation to it on the show, they said that would be sorted out by mid-July. Here we are, mid-July, and they're all still closed. And I mean, and I think a lot more people are going to die because of the, the, the restrictions on our health system, the, the, the procedures, the routine procedures that are not taking place, the screenings that are not taking place, um, and I think the stress and the worry, I mean, there's a report in today's Irish Independent uh, of an elderly person saying many of my friends are depressed after cocooning and they are afraid Absolutely. to go out. I mean, well, I mean, well, they've already quantified this in the United States and they've talked about it. And in the UK, we talked to a professor two weeks ago who quantified it at 60,000 deaths over a six month period of undiagnosed cancers, despair, poverty, etc. What they call the secondary effect of COVID-19, which essentially could be worse than COVID-19 itself. I mean, I'm not saying that COVID-19 is not a, 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 a dangerous virus. It is, but it is not the only dangerous virus that is out there. It is not the only danger to our health that's out there. And we have to try to the greatest extent possible to get on with our lives, yeah. but to do so safely, to take precautions, to wash our hands, to stay away from people, stay out of crowded nightclubs, stay out of crowded bars. Just because bars are allowed open doesn't mean that people should go into crowded bars. I mean, there are lots of bars. Well, we right don't know whether they'll be allowed open or not. That's still up to well, question, by the way. There are lots of bars right across there that regularly have three or four people sitting at quite a safe distance from each other in it. I mean, publicans are giving out that they don't have more people. The fact that three or four people are sitting at a safe distance from each other in a bar isn't a huge danger. I think people... Should the wet pubs, should they be allowed open on Monday? Neffet have said no. It's up to Michal Martin to make a decision now. Most likely probably going to leave it till Friday, which would be too late. Um, They want clarity. Should they be allowed open on Monday? Uh, I didn't know that Neffet had said no. I mean, I, I think you do need to differentiate between types of, 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 of bars. And at some point, people have to make a decision for themselves. Do I, do I undergo the risk of going to a bar? And if I do, then what type of bar? Do I go to a bar where it's likely to be very quiet and I'm not going to be, you know, there aren't going to be lots of people coming through. People aren't going to be sitting up on top of each other. You know, people are, eventually we can't regulate all of this human behaviour through, through 
um, the way we're doing it at the moment, people have to be left to assume the risk that they... And the, response, and the personal responsibility. OK, just to clarify, the National Public Health Emergency Team has raised serious concerns about moving to stage four of the government's plan for reopening uh, the country due to the increasing number of coronavirus cases. But there hasn't been a massive increase, so I don't, I don't know exactly where they got. Maybe that's a prediction or something like that. Yeah, I, I, hadn't, I wasn't aware of that. I do expect that some... I mean, I raised the matter with, uh, along with other TDs, I raised the matter with uh, Taoiseach Michal Martin yesterday, and um, he indicated that the Cabinet would... Uh, would meet and that a decision would be given this evening. Obviously, you can't make a decision on Monday morning as to what's going to happen no. on Monday afternoon. I mean, people have well, to... Well, normally, we, 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 say we tend to make decisions in this country on a Friday for some reason. I have no idea. Maybe that's something to do with the media. I haven't a clue. It's usually Friday after five o'clock. <laughs> yeah, so I know. Uh, well, it's too late to get into the into the radio stations and the media, but whenever. But listen, thank you very much indeed for coming on the air. I appreciate you. Uh, TD Michael McNamara, representative. Thank you for your time. Thank you. All right. Now, let me go to Liam. Liam, you're on Classic Kids. How are you doing, Liam? Uh, how are you doing? How's things? Good, Liam. You work at a pub? Yes, I run a bar, yeah. Okay. A bar, yeah. Okay, all right. Okay, so what's the story on Monday? Are you open? Are you closed? Do you know? Have you got an idea? Well, according to the government, uh, and Neffet, they, they believe we shouldn't be moving to the next phase. There's no clarity, no guidelines from the state, and every bar that's a wet bar, as they call them, is now sitting there thinking, what are we going to do? Well, they've just pulled this, this last-minute thing now about possibly not open now. Uh, most of my friends are in the pub game. We've uh, we've all stocked up the bars. We've staff ready to start. Everything's ready to go. And now, now they're talking. Uh, they're, they're, they're talking. Maybe, maybe we're not opening on the Monday. So I, we don't sell sell food in our bars. So what we're going to do is we're just going to sell pizzas and give them out free and just ring up nine euro on the till because the guards are going in and they're looking at tills and uh, uh, terrorising publicans at the minute. But you do know that's illegal, don't you? Uh, I don't give a shit now if it's illegal because I'm after waiting. I'm after waiting a few months now and now they're, act, they're acting the maggot now talking about not opening the public. Okay, so so essentially so, what you're going... But but surely to do that then you would have to be operating under a restaurant licence which you no, probably you don't, don't have. No, you don't need... There was, there was talk about that. Uh, a friend of mine has a pub licence and he was going to switch to a restaurant licence prior and when they, when they seen all the court dates for people trying to change their licence they decided once you're selling food that covers you. So the law states that you okay. So the law states to qualify under the previous phase that you must be serving a meal to the value value of nine euro, and you must only allow people to stay there for one hundred and five minutes or whatever it yeah. is. And that's another stupid idea. So they want me to turn the table over every hour and a half instead of leaving. That well, it won't take that long to eat a pizza. No, but listen to me now. If a fella's sitting there having a few points, instead of I've got to move him on and bring three new people into the pub at that table, three or four at the new table. So that's. Like I'm quadrupling, quadrupling the volume of people coming into the pub unnecessarily. I mean, I, I, no, I appreciate, Liam, I appreciate you've had a tough time, like everybody over the last four and a half months, and particularly, you know, business owners have had a hard time trying to obviously still continue to pay some bills uh, while you've been closed and making no money. And obviously you've been getting some subsidies or COVID payments, whatever your staff will be getting. And I do appreciate that the government have made a complete and utter mess uh, of this situation when it comes to these pubs opening on Monday because there's no clarity and no guidelines as there was the last time around for the previous like, pubs. A, a nine euro meal, where did they come up with that? Like, seriously? Well, well, I, well I, th- I think the nine euro meal went back to an old law, wasn't it? Where it was, it was based on punt, which yeah, was five pounds. You, 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 here, you, I've seen receipts um, for. I'm not going to name any pubs, but they've been up on Facebook where uh, people are forced to go into a pub for two hours and they're left goat drinks. Uh, there was a few women uh, had a bit of bar tab in a pub in Tala for two hundred and thirteen euros. 
Now, you know, what that's promoting binge drinking and, you know, and, and you know, where, where's the fun in that? Okay, well, know, there's no fun uh, of that, no. Million, million okay, so, so, so you, you're quite happy to, and to remind put, you again to break the law. No, um, I'm not going to break the law. Well, well, no, you are, no, well, you're ringing no, money, no, well, you are ringing no, money no, up on a till, firstly, no, without taking any money. No, no, the no, revenue pay, commissions I, wouldn't be I'm going to pay uh, that till roll be going in the bin. I'm going to ring in nine euro every half an hour, and people can, uh, and after nine o'clock, uh, I'll be leaving bits of pizzas all over tables if the guards come in. And I'll give, I'll give people a pizza for nothing. I'm opening up Monday, and I'm selling pizzas. And so are, you, are, you, are you going to be serving them in the pub or outside the pub in the beer in garden? The pub, in the pub. I just bought a little. Uh, I bought a little grill for doing pizzas, frozen pizzas, nine euro. Right. <laughs> and you can sit as long as you want. And how much are you paying for these pizzas, by the way? Well, they're cheap enough. Then. <laughs> All right, so people, it's not, it's not costing you much. Pizza. They're going for points. They're not going for pizzas. No, they're not going for the pizza. So you're just going to ring up the, the, the nine euro just to, to yeah, cover and yourself. I, and I didn't pull the idea there on my arse. There's a few pubs doing it already. Uh, the, the guards are going in looking at the till. And I know another friend of mine, he just, every, every half an hour, he rings in nine euro on the till. Well, I know. I mean, I know in the old days of the nightclubs and the bars with this idea with that you had to serve a substantial meal, as it was yes, called. Yes, you have to, but you Okay, but, the, to, but what they were doing in those days was before the guards would raid the place, they'd go around every table and put a plate and a knife and fork on every table, a dirty plate and knife and fork to give the impression people had been eaten. Uh, and, I, and you're kind of more or less doing something similar to that. But again, that was frowned upon by the state, frowned upon by the Garda Sheikana as being illegal. And the argument, I suppose, from Neffet and, and the, the public health team would be that you're putting lives in danger then by allowing no, people into your pub the, when the, the state the more, don't believe it's ready to do it. The, the more pubs are opened, the less people will be in the pubs. The less people are in the pubs, the less chance you have a contract uh, contract on anything. And that's a fact. At the moment now, there's a few pubs that are out the door because they can't cope. You have well, no, no, I know, I, know. I, I didn't. Well, no, I, I do agree. I did mention last week the more pubs that are open, the less people are going to be in them because obviously you dilute the problem. And I, I believed all the pubs should have opened together in the first place. It should have never happened like this. Um, well, there's but, a lot of pubs going to open on Monday and they're going down the road of pizza. So the government can do what they want. I couldn't give a fiddler. I'll be opening my doors. Staff ready, kegs ordered, ready to go. All right, well, look, uh, I wish you well and I hope you don't get caught. All right, that's well, well, from your point of view, you don't believe you are because you're going to be throwing your receipt result rolls in the bin. Uh, thank you very much for that. Gillian Powell is from the Haven Montessori and, and, and she wants to talk to us about childcare, the childcare sector. Uh, Gillian, um, what's going on at the moment? Because that was a sector, of course, that there was very little clarity about at the very, very start as well. Good afternoon, Niall. Yes, it's, it's a difficult se- sector to operate in anyway. So what's going on now is that some... Some providers are open and it, the transition of the children is going really well. That's a happy thing and, and everything regarding kids coming in. And they have a sta- a staffing subsidies, so their staff costs are essentially covered. Um, but we want to know how long that's going to last. That's well, really well I, there's a research that said 87% of business says they won't be able to survive without the government support. Uh, that's according to the, the Federation of Early Childhood Providers and the survey uh, which received 868 responses was carried out between the 8th and the 10th of July. So, in other words, exactly, you're, you're, you're snookered, basically, without the government support. Exactly. We really need it very badly. We need it for staff. We also need it. I was talking to a provider in Cork and he said he got a real shock when he looked at the water bill He's just been open three weeks now. And, you know, uh, children need more water to wash their hands. Mm-hmm. The, uh, they're putting in extra staff in pods so that children have a loving environment and that they have continuity, you know, in the past. And how are they getting on with these, this idea of children in pods or four children who can't interact it, it, with another four, is it? Well, 
it's, it, you know, I want to reassure parents listening out there. The children are playing and loving and laughing as normal. Are they, are they complying? They are. They, well, I find I it very difficult to believe you can tell yeah, a five-year-old no, not to hug his mate. No, no, that's never going to be the case. No. And, and the thing is, you can, you can adapt your pod in your setting. And, you know, childcare providers and wonderful people all over the country who lo- run these progressive learning centres know what they're doing. The children, really, it's going very well from that okay, point. But, but now, it's not going well for you. But now, and let me just get to you, because it's not going well yeah, for you, yeah. because you had to close your business. Well, I did. I looked at the financials going forward, and I ran a part-time um, setting, not a full daycare, and a part-time setting, and a, a medium-sized one, three classrooms. And last year, three of my staff left for very good reasons. One of them became a primary school teacher. One of them went to work in a bank and another girl, her husband, uh, went to America. So obviously she went with him. And um, at that point, then I didn't have redundancies to pay. But really, the government schemes are not funding childcare property. And if you're in an area where you can charge parents high fees, you'll survive and you'll make a lot of money. And I'm not here... I am a member of uh, the Federation of Childcare Providers, and many of those people are just ordinary women who set up businesses across the country. Progressive learning environments, and you know, research all across the world says that that's what makes the difference to society. Every euro you put into a child in, uh, in the early years pays back dividends in the future. Absolutely, exactly. we've we've said this how many times? So, if you protect those wonderful learning environments and fund them properly, uh, you know, magical things happen. We're giving children, you know, we're talking about, you know, getting our society out of this hole that we're in now and preparing for the future. And there's no better way than to put put the, all of the resources that are available to the government into those settings. So really, they w- uh, you know, I know providers are looking that the wage subsidy, subsidy is continued, that they have absolute clarity as to what happens if they have a COVID outbreak in the future, what funding will be available? Well, see, this you is this is the, the fear of the unknown the too, because I mean, yeah. if there's indeed a second wave and there's another lockdown, which I know people would hate to even hear to think of that happening, but we're back to square one again. We are, and you see, um, we're very much part of the SMI Recovery Ireland plan. Also, John Moran has done a lot of work in this, and there's a very good article in Cork Examiner from Monday if you want to read it, but. His whole analysis, and I want people to, you know, I know out there people are really struggling, but I want them to really realise why it's important to pay the debts of childcare providers and people, even ones who are going to fail, as it were, because these people have accrued bills since March. And if but we see, pay those but the only the only thing I'll the only thing I'll say to you, and I'm sorry to rush yeah. a little bit, but the only thing I'll no, say no, to no. you is that you, we can't get into a situation where childcare becomes possession of the state. Um, I, it, it is a private business, generally speaking, so we can't get into a situation where, you know, Montessori teachers, childcare, or anybody in the Federation of Early Childhood Providers becomes possession of the state and funded by the taxpayers. Because there's, there's a text here, by the way, and he says, um, it isn't the government funding, it's the taxpayers' funding. You're changing parents' high fees, and then the same parents have to pay high taxes also to fund these creches. Joke. Um, okay, so the point he's yeah. making is, is that 
maybe there would be a better way of dealing with this whereby parents get a tax credit for putting their child into childcare and then they would choose which childcare provider they want to go to. Absolutely, but the point is the, the, the issue that people really need to understand about the state funding is that, you know, it's not even running on inflation. It's 69 euros and we, we all agree, I think, right across the sector that about 100 euros a week is what it takes to but run a the sector a was in trouble sector. before. I mean, I, I agree with you, Gillian, and, and my heart goes out to you and all the other people in the Federation, particularly at this really tough time because so much pressure has been put on you to do the right thing, right? And, and absolutely, the state should support you and other businesses which are not going to get back to normal until all these restrictions are lifted, right? But in really, I know before that, I mean, I spoke to uh, Elaine Dunn before yeah. even COVID-19, back in January and February, when you guys were marching out on the streets. So there's been problems in the sector for funding and in, you know, and the amount of money that's possible to make and the way the state should be subsidising it more before COVID-19 came along. Absolutely. And all of us agree also that we want, you know, I'm delighted that one of the first acts of the government was to give, I know it's paltry, three weeks extra maternity leave. So mm. I think providers feel... It would be wonderful if we could push that to one year and even to two and then put, you know, do a proper cost analysis. But you see, the sector is so diverse. And I know people think, oh, those chains, they're making lots of money. Yes, they are. Some of them are. uh, Some of them are. But some of them are in debt. But I think what's needed is, you know, um, for the DCYA to use the considerable resources they have available and actually go and listen to each provider. It's almost as diverse that you need to actually get the individual, what do you need? Do you need two extra staff? Because, well, I ran a very big space, for example, or some other people, one extra staff would need to do. And you need to do it on an individual basis. But the debts are really going to be a big problem. Overhanging debt, um, childcare providers cannot trade their way out of that. Now, very many other people cannot either. But I kind of, I, I think of the image, if we think of, the childcare sector, like a resource, as it were. And if you don't address these issues properly, you're taking one leg off the resource. This is what's going to drive the engine of Ireland. Okay, well, 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 look, I'm... ...for childcare providers than anyone else, because it's an education system. And you know what? Education is never cheap, and and parents. Uh, but no, I, and I, I I absolutely agree with you. Investment in education is the most important thing, provided we do it properly. I'm sorry, I'm running out of time, and I really do appreciate you on the air. And I know we've spoken to yourself, and we've spoken to uh, Elaine Dunn many times, and we do. We are behind you 100 percent of the way, obviously. Uh, keep texting, keep what's happening. Numbers zero eight seven one double eight at treble zero eight. Covid connections on the Nile Boylan show. Classic hits.